Hello, I want to welcome you to the Point Church Alberta Campus Sunday Preaching Podcast. My name is Josh Heisler and I'm the Alberta Campus Pastor. We strongly believe in the expositional preaching of God's Word, which works to build our faith and grow us up in Christ. Our prayer is that this message will be a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join us as we get to the point. If you guys have your Bible, I hope that you do. Would you open it up to John chapter 15? John chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, let me encourage you, grab one of those hardback black Bibles from under your chair. If you're using one of those today, you're going to want to turn to page 901. Today, we're continuing our celebration of Advent, and we at Advent, as I, I've told you, we pause to celebrate the coming of Jesus to earth some 2,000 years ago. And as we celebrate Advent, each week, we have a different emphasis So two weeks ago, we started with hope. And as we talked about hope, I told you that we want to keep our hope fixed squarely on Jesus. Misplaced hope will lead us into disappointment. It's always going to let us down. But when our hope is in Christ, we have a sure and lasting hope. We have a hope that will lead us into joy, that will lead us into rest. So we want to keep our hope fixed on Jesus. Then last week, we talked about love. And what we found as we talked about Advent and love is that love at Advent is Jesus stepping down from heaven, putting on flesh, and living among us. But we also found that that love is a command that we're called to obey. We're called to be a people who love others. And when we love others, we serve kind of like a conduit of God's love for it to reach people who need to receive that love. So our mission is to go out and to love people by bringing God's love to them. But this week, we're going to talk about joy. And that word joy is is everywhere at this time of year. Am I right? It's it's in our decorations. It's it's in our songs. It's in our greeting cards. I mean, we sang about joy this morning. In our modern lexicon, joy is a word that, that has sometimes gotten a little bit confused. Like, like we think of joy and it, it has become interchangeable with happiness. Am I right? Even Webster's Dictionary defines it that way. Webster says that joy is a feeling of great happiness or it's a source of great happiness. And it's at this point in the sermon where usually in church, we start talking about the fact that joy and happiness are the same thing or are not the same thing that they're different. But here's what I found as I was studying this week. All throughout the Bible, joy and happiness, those two words are used interchangeably. They're used back and forth. They mean the same thing. Take a look, Isaiah chapter 52, verse seven. Listen to Isaiah. He's he's talking about the, the good news that the Messiah is going to proclaim. And he says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of what? Of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Now here's the thing, the very next verse, Isaiah 52, eight, throw it up there. He says, the voice of your watchmen. So the the watchmen are the people who are standing on the walls of the city and they're looking out. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for what? For joy. For eye to eye, they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Joy is happiness. Happiness is joy. Those two words can be used interchangeably. So the problem for us is not how we define the word. The problem for us is where we find our joy. 
We live in a society that teaches us to pursue joy, to pursue happiness. It's in our founding documents. The second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence says that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among them are life, liberty, and what? The pursuit of happiness, the pursuit of joy. We live in a society that teaches us to pursue happiness, to pursue joy. And that's not bad in and of itself. The question is, where do we find our joy? What gets us into trouble is when we pursue happiness or joy in the wrong place. So often when we pursue joy, when we pursue happiness, we pursue it in ourselves. We try to get it for ourselves. We work for it, whether it's people or relationships or status or stuff. We work hard to get the things that we think will make us happy, that will bring us joy. And, and often they will, at least for a time. But eventually, it wears off. Eventually, we move on to the next thing. It becomes this vicious cycle where we're never actually experiencing full joy, true joy. And if you don't believe me, what version of the iPhone do you have and what version of the iPhone do you want to have, right? Like every single year, we've got to get a new one. We're always chasing after that new thing that we think is going to make us happy. But at Advent, we're reminded that it doesn't have to be that way. So as we talk about joy at Advent, I have just one big idea for you. One big idea that I want you to walk away with. Advent is about the coming of Jesus, and our deepest joy is found in him. So today, the one thing that I want you to walk away with is this right here. Full joy is found in a deep relationship with and a complete dependence on Jesus. That's our big idea. That's the one thing that I want you to walk away with today. Full joy is found in a deep relationship with and a complete dependence on Jesus. It's not going to be found in the relationships that we have. Like, listen to me, Mr. or Miss Wright is not going to bring you full joy. Your friend group that you have or that you hope to have is not going to bring you full joy. And it's not going to be found in stuff. The house you live in, the car you drive, that new toy that you're really looking forward to getting, it's not going to bring you full joy. It's not going to be found in status. Like the job that you want to have is not going to bring you full joy. Like the number of Instagram followers you have is not going to bring you full joy. None of this stuff is going to bring you full joy. Full joy is found in a deep relationship with and a complete dependence on Jesus but I'm not just making this up. This is what Jesus is going to be telling us right here in scripture. So let me show you that. Let's take a look at the gospel of John chapter 15. We're going to look at verses one through 11 together. Jesus says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. 
Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Over in 1 Peter, we read that the grass withers, that the flower falls, but that the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, as we dive into your text today, we dive into your word and we seek to find how to achieve and and maintain full joy. God, I ask that you would work in us today, that you would teach us that we're not going to find joy, not full joy, unless we're just glued to you. Teach us how to abide in you. Teach us how to find that complete dependence, that deep relationship that we need in order that we could have the kind of joy that you have promised to give us here today. God, as we look at this, we we want to be disciples who make much of your name, who bring glory to the Father like you've just told us. And so God, we ask that you would do these things. We also ask that if there's somebody here today who hasn't found the joy we're gonna be talking about today, that today their life would change that today they would repent of their sin, that they would find the joy, the freedom that we're talking about here at the foot of the cross as they choose to follow you, to become your disciples, to be grafted into you, the true vine. Lord Jesus, we know that you can do these things. And so we're going to give this over to you and just wait expectantly for you to work in us. And as you do, we will be sure to give you all the honor and all the glory because you are worthy of all praise. We love you, Lord Jesus. It's in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Now, as we're looking at John 15 here today, I can can freely confess that this is not a text we would normally think about at Christmas. Am I right? This is a text that's happening right in the middle of Jesus's farewell discourse. He's on his way to Calvary as he's saying these things. And this is not normally a text we would think about as we celebrate Jesus's arrival on earth. But as we're talking about Jesus's arrival on earth and we're talking about this idea of finding joy in that, I think this is probably the perfect text for us today anyway. You see, this whole portion of Jesus' farewell discourse, it's all about joy. And we know that because of how he wraps it up. Look at verse 11 one more time with me. He says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Verses 1 through 10 here in chapter 15 are all about joy, true joy, full joy in us. Jesus has spoken these things to his disciples so that the joy that Jesus has would be the joy that we have in us. And that's a complete joy. It's a full joy. We need to keep that in mind as we're studying these verses today, okay? This passage of scripture comes right in the middle of what's known as Jesus's farewell discourse, as I said a moment ago. That begins all the way back in chapter 13, where Jesus gathers his disciples up into the upper room. 
as Passover is approaching. And the first thing that Jesus does up there in the upper room is, is he gets down and he washes his disciples' feet in order to show them what it means to be a servant leader. Jesus then tells them how one of them is going to betray him. And then he gives them the command we saw last week, that command to be disciples who are known by our love, who love other people well. Jesus tells them that, that he's about to leave. And as we move into chapter 14, Jesus says, I'm, I'm leaving. Peter's gonna deny me. I'm leaving. You're going to be sad, but you shouldn't be because I'm leaving for your own good. I'm going to prepare a place for you so that when I come back, we can be together again for all eternity. Jesus gives them this command there in chapter 14 that, that we are going to, out of the outflow of our love, obey everything that he's commanded. And then he promises to give the Holy Spirit to us to help us along as we follow him, as we live as his disciples, even though he's left. And then as we come to the end of chapter 14, right before we get to these verses that we're looking here in chapter 15, Jesus says something that I think is critical for us to, to have in mind to help us understand what we're reading here today. The last half of verse or of chapter 14, verse 31, Jesus says, rise, let us go from here. Now, why, why is that important? Because we're coming to this transition in the farewell discourse. Many scholars believe that it's at this point that Jesus and his disciples got up and left the upper room and began their journey over to the garden where Jesus was going to be betrayed. And as they were going, the farewell discourse continues. Jesus keeps talking as they're walking. And it's highly likely that Jesus would have walked by one of the many vineyards that are in and around Jerusalem as he's heading out to the garden. Or perhaps he walked by the temple itself as they were heading out. The Jewish historian Josephus tells us that in Jesus' day, there was this large golden vine hanging over the entrance to the temple. And either of these symbols, either of these images, the, the large golden vine or maybe just the vineyard itself filled with grapes, either one of them could be what spurred Jesus to say, I am the true vine. It's important for us to remember as we see Jesus saying this, that he's making something, uh, uh, kind of a big statement here. You see, in Jesus's day and really all throughout the Old Testament, the vine was a symbol for Israel. And what Jesus is telling his disciples is that this symbol for Israel isn't the symbol you need anymore. You see, Jesus' disciples, they placed all of their hope for the future, all of their identity. It was all wrapped up in the fact that they were Israelites. They were children of Abraham. They were God's chosen people. And all of their hope, all of their identity was wrapped up in the fact that they were children of Israel. But what Jesus is saying is that, no, 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 not anymore. It's me. I am the true vine. Your identity, your hope is no longer going to be wrapped up in Israel. It's going to be wrapped up in me. You're going to find your identity in me. And as we begin to talk about joy here today, we need to start where Jesus started. If we're going to experience true joy, we've got to start by remembering that as Christians, our identity is found in who we are in Jesus Christ. Our, our hope for the future is found in who we are in Jesus Christ because Jesus is our true vine. And when we remember that, it's going to help steer us as we follow him. But joy isn't just found in our hope, in our identity. It goes much deeper than that. 
And that's what this whole horticultural metaphor that Jesus is using here is meant to teach us. I want you to look again at verses one through three. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Now, there is absolutely a lot there that we could cover, but the main thrust of what Jesus is saying here is that if you're in the true vine, if you're a disciple of Jesus, if you call yourself a Christian, there is an expectation of fruit. There should be evidence in your life that you are a follower of Jesus. And here we see the father working like a gardener who comes in to help us do that. He comes in and he works on us to help us to bear fruit. When I was stationed out in Corpus Christi, I got the opportunity to spend a lot of time with uh, one of the biggest farmers in the Corpus Christi area. He might've been one of the biggest farmers in Texas. He had uh, a farm of over 25,000 acres, which I'm told is a lot, I don't know. Um, But as I was talking to Jimmy one day and we were talking about his cotton crop, he told me something really interesting about cotton. This, I don't know if this is true here in, in this area. I am not that kind of farmer. Um, maybe it is, I I don't know, but um, he told me that because cotton is a perennial plant, it doesn't want to go bear fruit on its own. What cotton wants to do as a plant is it wants to just keep on growing bigger and bigger, just become a big bush because it keeps growing year round. And so what the farmers have to do if they want to get cotton to harvest is they have to come in and and, and essentially what they do is they, they chemically prune the plant. They induce stress on the plant that causes it to redirect all of its energy from growing into a big plant into bearing fruit. And that's sort of what the Father does to us. He comes in and and redirects some of our energy. He'll steer us around and help to force us to bear fruit by pruning us. But here's the thing. Like when we're talking about being pruned, we gotta be honest. It's not fun. Like pruning isn't pleasant. Those of you who are gardeners or, or who work with trees and stuff, you know, you, you cut a branch, that branch sap's gonna bleed out, it hurts. It can be painful to be pruned. And that's what the Father is doing to us to help us to bear fruit. Sometimes as we follow Christ, it's going to hurt. And God is the one that's doing that work in us. But he's doing it for our good and for our joy. Remember, this whole passage is about joy. The Father prunes us to help us to bear fruit so that we can have joy. A cotton plant that doesn't produce cotton is just a plant. And a disciple that doesn't bear fruit is just a spectator. He's not a real disciple. There is an expectation of fruit. In verse three, Jesus tells his disciples how they're already clean. They've already been pruned by the words, the the teachings and and experiences that they've seen in and around Jesus. They're ready to begin to bear fruit. But as we move on into the rest of these verses here, we're gonna see Jesus outline how it is that we're gonna be able to bear fruit. I want you to look beginning at verse four. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 
Now that last statement there really ought to grab our attention. Apart from me, you can do nothing. As we're talking about this this idea of finding joy at Christ's advent, I want you to let the weight of what Jesus is saying right here sink in. Right here, Jesus is telling us that without him, we're never gonna get to where we're trying to go. Without him, we are never going to experience true, full joy. We need to abide in Jesus. We can't do it if we don't. So right there at the beginning of verse four, Jesus says, abide in me. Now, what does it mean to abide? The Greek word there is meno, and it can be translated as abide or reside or or remain. And, And several English translations actually use that last one. They use remain in me. But, but I think when you use that word to translate meno, you lose some of the weight behind what Jesus is trying to teach us to do here. I think abide really is the best word to translate that word. So again, I'm going to ask, what does abide mean? Abide is the verb. But if we were to think about what the noun version of that word is, we'll get some clarity. So what's the noun form of abide? I'll give you a hint. Welcome to my humble abode. What's an abode? It's our house. It's where we live. It's our home. And what Jesus is saying here is live in me. Make your home in me. Exist in me. This is talking about deep relationship with Jesus. I mean, think about it. What place on earth do you know better than your own house? After you've lived there for for six months to a year, what place on earth do you know better than, than the place that you live every single day? I mean, with the rare exception of, of like when the girls don't put the step stool away when I tell them to, in the middle of the night, I can get up out of bed and I can walk out to the kitchen. I can go to the cupboard. I can grab a glass. I can go over to the refrigerator, fill that glass with water, drink the water, walk over to the sink, put the sink or put the cup in the sink, go back to bed all without turning on a single light. That's how well I know my house. And, and what Jesus is telling us here is that that's how well we should know him. We know him so well that we can say that we live in him. Jesus is telling us to have such a deep relationship with Jesus that we can say we abide in him because that's where we're going to find full joy. But what I thought as I was was looking at this and reading it over and over again, what, what I thought was just so encouraging as I was studying this this last week is that the is the fact that that Jesus makes it clear that this deep relationship I'm talking about, it's not one-sided. Did you notice that? Two times Jesus says that this is not a one-sided relationship. By the way, just free Bible study tip. If Jesus repeats himself, pay attention, right? And twice right here, Jesus says this. In verse four, he says, abide in me and I in you. In verse five, he says, whoever abides in me and I in him. Twice, twice Jesus is telling us that this abiding relationship, this deep relationship is a two-way relationship. We live in Christ and Christ lives in us. Don't miss that. That is huge. Jesus Christ, our God, 
He dwells inside of us. He lives in us as we live in him. And that leads us into full joy. But what I want you to see is this is not just a call into deep relationship. It's also a call into complete dependence. Look at these verses one more time. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now keep reading into verse six. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Now, as we read this, there are some who would take this passage of text and say that this is making the case that you can somehow lose your salvation. But that's not what this is about. Remember, the the whole teaching of Jesus alone, like just in the Gospel of John, makes it clear that you cannot lose your salvation. In just two chapters, Jesus is going to pray, and as he's praying, he's going to say that all that you have given me, of all that you have given me, I've lost none, except the one destined for destruction from Judas. You cannot lose your salvation. The whole Bible teaches us that that is the case. So so this is not about that. Rather, what we see here is Jesus using this horticultural metaphor to stress the importance of complete dependence on him. He's calling us into complete dependence. And Jesus uses the example of what happens when you take a a branch off of a, a vine and you just cut it off and you sever it from its source of life, its source of energy. But it's Christmas time, so I thought I'd maybe spin this a little bit. Because we have this weird habit in America and really around the world of taking trees and cutting them down and dragging them into our house. Uh, any of y'all do the live Christmas tree thing still? We've, we've been fake for a while. It makes me sad, but, you know, that's what we do. Back when I was in college, um, I was stationed at the University of Washington going to college, and um, for several years early in in our marriage, Tam and I had the live Christmas tree thing, um, but, but we would not settle for any of those scrawny, dead, overpriced trees that have no special meaning. No, no, we would do what our, our forefathers did. We would go to the Forest Service office and we'd pay this fee, like, like I want to say it was like seven bucks, and we'd get a permit and we would drive up into the mountains, out to the National Forest to find a Christmas tree. And that's what we would do. We'd we'd get up there, we'd park the truck, and then we would walk out into the woods and we'd pick out that special tree and we'd cut it down with our bare hands and it would be freezing cold, snow on the ground everywhere. Tamil would be frozen from the waist down. But we would do that and then we'd drag that tree and we'd throw it in the back of the truck and we would drive it home and, and we would set it up in our living room. But do you know what happened to that tree after we severed it from the roots? Like over time, no matter how hard we tried, no matter how much work we put into filling that water dish throughout the month of December, even when we tried like the additives to keep that tree alive, over time it would dry up. It would shrivel up and die. And by the time January 1st rolled around, no matter how hard we tried, that tree that was once alive was completely dead and there'd be pine needles all over my carpet. Right? We've, this is probably why we have fake trees now. That's what happens when separated from the stump, a Christmas tree is going to shrivel up and die. It it was completely dependent on its root system to get nutrients, to get life, to get everything that it needed. And the same thing is true for us as disciples of Jesus. 
We have got to be attached to Jesus if we want to live. If we want to thrive, we've got to be connected to Jesus because Jesus is our vine. And apart from him, we're going to shrivel up and die. You won't be able to live as a Christian if you're not connected to Jesus. And you're, you're definitely not going to find joy. You'll never find that happiness. You'll never find that peace because full joy is found in a deep relationship with and a complete dependence on Jesus. That's what we're seeing right here. We have to abide in Christ where we experience deep relationship with Jesus, where we live with complete dependence on Jesus. But as we continue into verses seven and eight, I want you to see that there's some results of this abiding life. We can expect to see some things happen when we live this abiding life. Take a look, starting at verse seven. Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now in these two verses here, we see at least two results of this abiding in Christ that we're talking about. In verse seven, we see that when we abide in Jesus and his words, that, that's his teaching, his, his commandments, when they abide in us, it impacts our prayer. He says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, this isn't turning Jesus into some cosmic vending machine in the sky. This is simply a reiteration of a promise that, that Jesus made back in John 14, 14. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. This is pointing out that when we abide in Christ, we'll be in that deep relationship with Jesus. And that relationship will help lead us to live and to walk in God's will. And so when we make a request, we're asking inside the will. We're asking in Jesus's name. That's what it means. And what Jesus seems to be telling us here is that faithful abiding leads to answered prayer. But as soon as I say that, I find myself asking, well, what, what do I do when I feel like I'm living inside the will of God? When I feel like I've been doing my best to abide in Jesus and I make this request and he doesn't answer the way I want him to. What do I do when my prayer goes unanswered, but I'm abiding to the best of my ability? What do I do? I feel like, like we've experienced that from time to time, right? The answer to that question is to keep on abiding. Continue to abide. Because there's a couple of things that could be going on there. Maybe, maybe you're experiencing some of that, that pruning that we read about back in verse two. Maybe God's pruning you right now and, and and so you just need to continue to abide. Or maybe what God's got planned, what, what's going on there, his will is so much deeper and so much greater than you could possibly fathom. And so you, you maybe you think you're in his will, but, but, but you're not. And so you just need to continue to abide. And the whole time that you continue to abide, you remember that that thing you're asking for, Whatever it is, whether it's healing or, or restored relationship or some sort of, whatever it is, it doesn't matter what it is. You remember that whatever it is, that thing you're asking for, that is not your source of joy. 
God's response to your prayer request is not your source of joy. Your source of joy is Jesus himself. And so you continue to abide. So the first thing we see here, the first result of this abiding relationship is that there appears to be this connection to our prayer. But the second thing we see is that God is glorified. Look at verse eight one more time. Jesus says, by this my father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. When we abide in Christ, we're going to bear fruit. We're going to demonstrate through lives lived out in obedience to Jesus that we have this deep relationship, that we have this deep dependence on Jesus, and that brings God glory. That makes much of his name. We live lives that have been changed by Christ, and so God is glorified in that. And those lives are going to look different. They're going to be changed because they're going to be lives that are lived in obedience to Jesus' commands, to his teachings. They'll be lives that are marked by faith, marked by peace, marked by joy. They'll be lives that are marked by love, which is why as we continue into verses 9 and 10, Jesus is going to start talking about love, talking about joy, Josh. Why, why is he talking about love? Let me show you. Jesus says in verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. And we got to stop right there because you cannot miss what Jesus just said right there. Look what he said. As the Father has loved me, so, I, so have I loved you. Jesus is saying right here that his love for his disciples, he loves those disciples the same way that the Father loves Jesus. Now, how does the Father love Jesus? The Father loves Jesus with this infinite, eternal, perfect, unchanging love. And that's how Jesus loves his disciples. Do you, do you see what he's saying here? Jesus is saying, I love you with an infinite, eternal, perfect, unchanging love. That's what he's saying right here. This is incredible. And then he's telling us to abide in that love, to, to dwell in that love, to live, to exist in that love. That's the kind of love where you experience full joy, where Jesus loves you regardless of your sinful past. Like, think about that. He doesn't care what you did in the past. If you were, he, he loves you regardless of your sinful past. And Jesus loves you like you are right now. Now, that doesn't mean he's not calling you into holiness. It doesn't mean he's not calling you into more Christ-likeness, but it does mean he loves you right now. He loves you. Think about what that means. He's, he's not telling you that you need to clean yourself up in order for him to love you. He's not telling you you need to achieve some level of righteousness before he's going to love you. He's saying, I love you with this perfect, holy, unchanging, eternal love. And he's calling you to dwell in that love. Live in that love. Because that's where you're going to find full joy. And verse 10 is telling us that we, we live in this love by keeping his commandments. By by imitating Jesus himself. Take a look. Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, 
just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. We abide in Christ's love by following his example, by doing what Jesus did. Jesus abided in the Father's love by obeying the Father. And we abide in Jesus's love by obeying Jesus. But what I want you to see here is, is that Jesus is teaching us that obedience isn't something that we do out of duty or obligation. Obedience is something we do out of love. It's the outworking of our love for Jesus. Look at, look at this. Like, like, think about this. Jesus's relationship with the Father has always been perfect. Jesus has never owed the Father anything. He's never had any duty to the Father, only love. And yet Jesus obeyed the Father, and he obeyed the Father out of an outworking of his love, the love that he abides in. And Jesus is calling us to the same thing. He's calling us to obey him out of an outworking of our love for him. So, so we obey Jesus not to earn his favor, but because we love him. Does that make sense? That's what we're being called to here. We obey Jesus out of an outflow for our love. That's how we abide in Jesus's love. That's how we find full joy. Remember verse 11, Jesus tells us why he's telling all of us this stuff. He says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. Joy that's experienced in abiding in, in living in that infinite, eternal, perfect, unchanging love of the Father. Joy that's experienced when you have this perfect relationship with God. That kind of joy. Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy, that joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Full joy is found in a deep relationship with Jesus, in complete dependence on Jesus. And Jesus' advent has made that possible. When Jesus came to earth, put on flesh, he's made that kind of joy possible. Listen, joy is everywhere this time of year. And we live in a society that teaches us to pursue that joy. So let's pursue joy in the right place. Let's find this full joy in deep relationship with Jesus, in complete dependence on Jesus. Because that's our big idea for the day, right? I told you just one big idea, that full joy is found in a deep relationship with and a complete dependence on Jesus. But if all we have today is, is this concept, if all we have is this idea right here and we just walk out with this head knowledge, that sure does make it really easy to leave without letting God do some work in our hearts. So today what I want to do, and so I wanna, I wanna give you the opportunity to, to take that and apply it. As Nathan comes up and we get ready to, to pray and sing, I'm gonna give you a whole bunch of questions here. And, and it's really just taking what we've been talking about and, and applying it directly to yourself. So I'm gonna give you these questions and, and I want you to think about this. Ask yourself these questions. Ask the Lord to kind of review or reveal in you where, where maybe these things are true and how to move forward out of that. 
So if full joy is found in a deep relationship with and a complete dependence on Jesus, if, if that's what God's word is showing us here, if that's what God's word is confronting us with right here, I want you to ask yourself, where am I finding my joy? Don't give yourself a pass. Like, really think about that. Am I finding my joy in Christ? Where am I finding my joy in stuff, my job, my hobby, my kids, how well they're doing at sports? Where do I find my joy? Connected to that are the two questions we kind of started with. Where's your identity? Is your identity in what you do, what you can make of yourself? Or is your identity in Christ? Where do you place your hope? Is your hope in some future goal you, you plan to attain? Some election down the road? Something that's going to happen on the stock market? Or is your hope in Jesus? Have you been living your life? Ask yourself, am I living my life abiding in Christ? If the answer to that one is I'm not sure, I can give you some, some things to consider. You could ask yourself, is there any fruit in my life? Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. So if there's fruit in your life, that is a sign that you are abiding in him. What does fruit look like? Jesus doesn't describe the fruit here. He doesn't define the fruit. So we kind of have to go with the whole of his teaching. Fruit looks like a life that has been changed by the gospel. So do, do people see a change in your life? Are you different today because of your encounter with Jesus? Like, like, do people see that in you? If you're feeling bold, you can ask some people who know you well. Husbands, ask your wife. Wife, ask your husbands. Parents, you're feeling really bold, ask your kids. Do you see Jesus in my life? Do you see some fruit of me following Christ in my life? Because Jesus tells us that when we abide in him, there's going to be fruit. Finally, maybe you could ask yourself, do I depend on Jesus? Or am I my hope? Am I looking to myself for the future, for my joy, I know I've thrown like, like 30 questions at you right here, but I'm going to give you an opportunity to, to pray. Nathan's going to play. We're not going to sing just yet. And just maybe ask God, where am I placing my hope? Where am I trying to find my joy? Take a minute right now and just, just talk to the Lord. 
Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast from The Point Church. If you would like more information about our church, or if you have any questions, you can find us online at tothepoint.church.